And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Thomas Jipping. He's Deputy Director of the Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies and a Senior Legal Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Thomas, it's great to have you on with us today. Thanks very much for having me. Well, this is quite a week that we've been through. Uh, the news, it seems, has been uh, totally, almost totally focused on the Judge Kavanaugh confirmation hearing. And looking back at it, um, maybe you can help us sort some things out. Um, how did you think the confirmation hearing went? Well, this is the uh, 11th Supreme Court nomination that I've been involved in, and it's uh, I've never seen anything like some of the kind of disruptions and obstruction that have been going on this week, both from members of the committee and particularly from protesters that have been uh, um, disrupting the hearing from the audience, uh, and dozens of them have been taken out of the hearing room and so on, although I've heard attempted interviews with some of them which indicate many of them don't really have a, a clue about what it is that they're protesting. But um, it's been a, a pretty chaotic uh, kind of environment for Judge Kavanaugh's testimony and answering questions, but uh, he's doing a really superb job of reflecting the same basic principles about uh, what judges are supposed to do as his judicial opinions and previous articles and speeches and others have done. Uh, he's, I think for those that are actually listening to him, they, they will have a, a good idea of the kind of judge that he is and the kind of justice that he will be. Hmm. Yeah, it seems to me that uh, you can look at his past history and uh, the opinions that he has written or joined to and uh, the thousands of pages uh, of of stuff that's out there that he's participated in. And uh, what kind of a picture does that give us of Judge Kavanaugh? Well, there's two basic categories that judges fall into. Um, I used to work for Senator Orrin Hatch. I spent 15 years on his staff, including on the Judiciary Committee. And he he has distinguished between impartial judges and political judges. That is, impartial judges who take their own views out of the equation or political judges which put their views into the equation. And our system of government was designed for impartial judges, and that's exactly the kind of judge uh, that, that uh, Kavanaugh has demonstrated that he is, both in terms of explaining uh, his views and those principles. Uh, it's been a little bit of a civics lesson in that regard but also in demonstrating those principles. As, as you mentioned, he's been a judge in the U.S. Court of Appeals for 12 years. He's authored over 300 opinions, joined almost 400 more. So there's really a, a good documentation putting into practice what his uh, principles are. And, and he, he definitely falls into that category of the impartial judge who wants the law and not him, not his personal politics or views, uh, to decide cases. And that's the kind of judge we need. Now, um, partway through last week, this past week, um, the Democrats were asking for more documentation. Uh, what was it that they were looking for in, in particular? 
Um, well, it's important to point out first that all the Democrats on the Judiciary Committee had already announced their opposition to the nomination weeks ago. In fact, some of those Democrats announced two weeks before the nomination that they would oppose anyone that President Trump chose. Uh, so all of the d debate about we need more information is coming from senators who didn't need any of this information to already make up their mind. They've already received, the committee has, and, and most of it's been released to the public, um, more than 400,000 pages of material. And this centers on uh, Kavanaugh's service in the White House Counsel's Office and in the Office of Independent Counsel in the Executive Branch. Um, so we have already have hundreds of thousands of pages, uh, and these Democrats don't need any of this information because they've already announced their opposition. So we're talking about as a, as a smaller uh, additional uh, uh, set of material that came from the George Bush Library and from the, the National Archives. Um, the, the volume of material here that we already have is, is more than for the previous five Supreme Court nominees combined. So that's important for to put in context hmm. what some of the sniping about documents are right now. Yeah. The role of a judge, uh, you've hinted at it, but can you explain it to us? Is he a player or an umpire? Sure. He, he's actually uh, used that analogy of an umpire many times. Um, I know people, people may remember Chief Justice Roberts used that analogy as well in 2005 when he was appointed, and it's a useful one in the sense that an umpire is a, is a neutral arbiter or a, a neutral figure who applies a set of rules uh, in an even-handed and impartial way. I think, as uh, Roberts might have said, you don't go to a baseball game to see the umpire. He's supposed to um, kind of be in the background, be the fair, impartial one. That's exactly the analogy that uh, that Judge Kavanaugh has drawn. In fact, he gave a speech where he, I think it was at Notre Dame, where he, he actually looked at ten different ways in which there's a, a parallel between what he called the good judge and an umpire. And uh, that's the basic idea that he has worked with, and, and I think it makes sense. People have a sense for what an umpire is supposed to do, the role that he's supposed to play, uh, and that's how Kavanaugh sees his role as a judge. Yeah. Now, our representatives, um, I believe they have to swear that they're going to uphold our Constitution. Um, I, I believe that's part of it. Um, but um, if we have a a guy like Kavanaugh that... that um, is just simply following the Constitution, it seems that that should make everybody happy. Well, I think um, uh, some of the rhetoric around that has, has kind of distorted the picture a little bit, but I think, you're, I think you're absolutely right, and that's an important point. A judge who takes the Constitution, and, and Kavanaugh has used the words, as written, he, he, he emphasizes that quite a bit, a judge who's going to take the Constitution as it is, the real Constitution, um, actually treats the Constitution as something important, as something of substance, as something real. Uh, the political judge who looks at the Constitution, he, he kind of treats it as a bunch of words that don't mean anything, 
and then he decides kind of what he wants the Constitution to mean. That treats the Constitution as something trite, as something trivial, as something that's empty. So I think we all ought to, regardless of your politics, we all ought, ought to want our Constitution to be treated as something of substance, as something that's real and meaningful. The Constitution is, is the way that we set rules for government, and that's supposed to mean rules for judges, too. And so... Um, one of the themes in the Kavanaugh hearing, you know, Democratic senators have been asking Kavanaugh whether, judge, whether the president is above the law. Uh, a, a fair question is also, are judges above the law? Are judges above the Constitution? Or must they obey the same Constitution in words and in substance as presidents and legislators do? Kavanaugh would say yes. Yes. I wonder if the um, justices their role has morphed a bit. Uh, what I mean is uh, legislators have a great responsibility to legislate, and they need to own up to their decisions and not push it off on the Supreme Court because the legislators want to get reelected and maybe something's unpopular. But is that kind of forcing the Supreme Court to, becoming more, to become more powerful than what it's supposed to be? Well, it might be a chicken and egg kind of thing, um, because I think if if the courts, the judicial branch in general, the Supreme Court in particular, um, they, if they stuck to the design that America's founders had for the judiciary, and if they simply refused to do what the executive or legislative branch are supposed to do, those branches would have no choice but to do their job. Uh, it's when I think the judiciary signals that they're willing to do their work for them, that the judiciary is willing to, you know, fill in the blanks and and make sense out of nonsensical statutes or, you know, kind of uh, fiddle with the meaning of the Constitution. Politicians are more than happy to let them do it. So <laughs> uh, you can't you can't make the con the Supreme the Supreme Court or the judiciary be activist. Uh, presidents just simply appoint activist judges. They shouldn't, and if they didn't, uh, the focus would be where it belongs. Senator Sass, uh, Ben Sass of Nebraska, as a member of the Judiciary Committee, really talked a lot about that this week. Um, the, the judiciary or the uh, legislature would have to do its job, and that would yeah. be good for our system of government. Now, um, Judge Kavanaugh um, appears to follow the law, and I think you wrote an opinion piece. Uh, he follows the law even under the most difficult circumstances. Can you uh, explain a little bit about that? Well, the the reason that I focused on that was, if if you recall from last year, the confirmation hearing for Justice Neil Gorsuch, um, he had also been on the U.S. Court of Appeals uh, out west, and he had a couple of cases that involved very very challenging and difficult, emotionally charged facts. One of them had to do with a, a trucker who had... Um, you know, was stuck in frozen weather and, and he'd been fired, you know, this kind of thing. And a real challenge for the judge who believes in an objective, impartial approach is, well, what happens when, you know, the, that commitment, which is kind of in your head, competes with what your heart might want to do, yeah. you know? And um, that's when it, that's really tested. Well, that, 
you know, that, that was really a big part of the Gorsuch hearing last year, and Judge Kavanaugh has had a couple of those cases as well. And that column, and, and one other that I had written, um, looked at a couple of those cases. How did he handle, you know, that in a, in a case that was very gripping and compelling in terms of its facts? Um, you know, a, a principle is easy to apply when it's easy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but when you have to apply the principle in a difficult situation, where when you might not want to, where the right answer might be the unpopular answer. Uh, what happens then? That's the real test for whether someone's a good or a bad judge. And uh, I think Judge Kavanaugh has consistently shown that he is committed to that principle uh, no matter what. That's very interesting. There are those, as you've pointed out, who are very opposed to Judge Kavanaugh and had already made up their minds, apparently, even before the name was announced. But um, one piece you wrote said um, how Kavanaugh meets Schumer's standard for Sotomayor. Uh, can you explain that? Well, in 2009, when President Obama uh, nominated Sonia Sotomayor to the Supreme Court, and, and like Kavanaugh, she was a, a judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals, um, Chuck Schumer was on the Judiciary Committee at the time, and he he pointed out a few criteria or standards that he said were very important, one of which is kind of what we were just talking about, which is that a judge is supposed to do what the law requires, even when it means ruling against what he called sympathetic litigants, right. that, that, the, that the law, not the judge, is supposed to... Uh, decide cases. And Sotomayor herself embraced that. She said, uh, you know, even when the position that someone's taking uh, is compelling or sympathetic, that she has to do what the law commands. That was the word that she uses. That was the stand. Now, you know, whether, whether Schumer believed that or whatever, that's a whole different question. But he did say that that was the standard, at least when Democratic nominees were before the Judiciary Committee, and you know that, that's what the standard that we ought to apply today. That's the, yeah. That is the very kind of judge that Kavanaugh is today. Unfortunately, it does not appear that Schumer will support Kavanaugh the way he supported Sotomayor. That's too bad. Now, um, there's been some distorting, apparently, of Kavanaugh's judicial record. Can you help us understand that better? Well, I think, um, as we've been talking about the real the, the two different ways of looking at judicial decisions are uh, you, you people may have heard the the phrase the ends justify the means well there's the result and then there's the way that you get to the result and judges are supposed to be evaluated on the means on the process on sometimes what we call judicial method uh, the, st the steps that they go through in applying the law to the facts of the case. They're not supposed to start with, well, what do I want the result to be? Politicians do that, but not judges. And that's the way the, the distortions of Judge Kavanaugh's record are primarily uh, mistaking ends for means. People will look only at which party wins, which party loses, which political interests are, are served, uh, a couple of different groups that I've looked at, they, they'll, they'll just simply count, you know, which party wins and loses 
and they'll as if you can evaluate a judicial record with a calculator and that's all that they'll then say so they'll say see he always rules this way or he rules most of the time that way that's not that's not the right way to evaluate uh, a judicial uh, record in fact it, you know we were referring to the umpire analogy would, would you would you say could you say whether the umpire did a good job or a bad job just based by which team won the game of course not right and and there's no, there's no it's no more valid to do the same when you're talking about judges so um i think using the right standard using the right criteria letting judge Kavanaugh's record and his judicial decisions speak for themselves is the right way to evaluate this and and i think anybody who does that will come to the conclusion that he's a uh, um a very experienced well qualified judge who uh follows the right principles and will do so on the supreme court yeah that's helpful um I'm not too familiar with the process, but you are. Um, after the hearings, what's the next step? The, um, the Judiciary Committee is conducting the hearing, and then the, the committee, because the, the nomination, when the nomination is made, it's referred to the Judiciary Committee. So uh, just like a bill might be sent to a particular committee, the nomination is before the Judiciary Committee. So after the hearing is finished, the committee itself will meet, uh, and have to vote on whether to re- uh, send the nomination to the full Senate. They'll do that probably two weeks from now. And then the, the, the week of September 24th, it will be on the Senate floor. There'll be debate there as well. And um, my hope is that by the end of that week, uh, the Senate will have confirmed Judge Kavanaugh. And I, and I think uh, he'll probably get a few Democratic votes as well. Yeah, okay. So you're thinking, most likely, in your judgment, he will get confirmed? Yes, I believe that he will. Um, And that timetable is important only because, you know, the the Supreme Court's term starts the first Monday in October, which this year happens to be the first day of October, Mm -hmm. uh, on October 1st. And um, ideally, uh, having Judge Kavanaugh uh, confirmed and sworn in as a justice when that term starts, uh, that would really be the best way to do it. And, and there's plenty of time to have that happen. The, the time between Kavanaugh's nomination and his hearing is already about 25% longer than the average for Supreme Court nominees over the last few decades. So not only do senators have more than enough information, they've also had more than an average period of time to study Kavanaugh's record. Yeah. I'm kind of going back to a question I mentioned before, and that is um, um, he's so opposed by certain folks, um, you know, assuming they love the Constitution and assuming they were sincere and saying, well, uphold the Constitution. What is it about Kavanaugh that, that they're so against? I, I don't understand. I think it I think it probably falls into two categories. One only one of them has to do with Kavanaugh. Um, they opposed Kavanaugh for the reason that they opposed Gorsuch, for the same reason they opposed Alito, and that is for the very reason that he's a great judge and ought to be confirmed. Um, judge Kavanaugh's opponents uh, they don't want impartial judges; they want political judges. Uh, their political agenda, uh, things like abortion and so on, 
the only reason that we have that is because political judges took a look at the Constitution and twisted it around to allow what they wanted to happen. And that's how the political agenda of the left gets imposed upon the country. So they don't want impartial judges. I mean, they oppose Judge Kavanaugh for the same reason that I support him. He's an, he's an impartial and not a political judge. The second reason, frankly, it doesn't have to do with him. It has to do with the president who nominated him. Uh, much of this is a proxy fight for using uh, Kavanaugh as a proxy for President Trump. Um, and they, they hate President Trump so much that they're using everything that he's associated with, everything that he does, every nomination he makes, every position he takes as representing him. And they're going to fight Kavanaugh as if they were fighting Donald Trump directly. Yeah. And that, that has given the process, I think, a really unfortunate uh, and distorting kind of uh, feel to it and really makes more difficult um, making a good decision about this judicial nominee. It makes it tough also because uh, Trump, whether they like it or not, represents our country. And so if they're against anything he's associated with, therefore some of them will be against our country. Well, I, I think what it, what it does, and, and as I said, I, I worked for many years for Senator Orrin Hatch, who's completing 42 years in the Senate and and has a real deep perspective on the institutions of government and sort of the the foundation um, that our country needs to to thrive really and he he often talked about um, many years ago when both parties agreed on on much more in terms of the basic foundations of our government uh, when it came to judicial nominations there there were differences, but those differences were at the margins they were about the genuinely, you know, worthwhile controversies as opposed to turning everything into um, a conflict. And that's what's happening now. It, it really does distort our politics. It makes it very difficult uh, coming to any sort of consensus, even amount of most basic ideas. And um, it's, a, it's a very difficult situation nowadays. Yeah. Um if a young person would like to get into serving the country, uh, perhaps someday in the role of a, a judge, even um, he would have he or she would have to be trained, and and hopefully they would go to some kind of a school that would be strong in civics and the traditions and the Constitution and all of that. Do you have any recommendations for young people seeking to further their studies along that line? Well, I think you make a good point that uh, what's loosely called civics education is uh, is education about sort of the 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 structure and the the foundation of our country, the principles on which it was founded. A, a, a sound education in those foundational things is really important. Um, you know, I can recommend if for people who are interested in the Constitution, uh, the, the Heritage Guide to the Constitution, which is on our website, heritage.org, uh, is, a, is a really unique resource because every single uh, clause of the Constitution 
is not only explained, but there's actually an essay by a prominent legal scholar about every single clause in the Constitution from a traditional perspective. Um, I know that you know I went to the State University of New York, a very liberal law school. I took two courses in constitutional law and never had to read the Constitution. Um, well. That has predictable consequences when you take that sort of approach. So um, the foundations, you know, that that's really what's most important in terms of establishing a mindset, a worldview uh, that you can use to then kind of navigate your way through the through everyday life. So it seems like a, a student today who has a real real sense of um, our constitutional republic and love for the Constitution seems that he or she really needs to do some of their own digging and, and seek out, like you say, this the Heritage Guide to the Constitution and perhaps other papers and study that and, and really learn it. Well, if, if you have a conviction that um, you know, our system of government is a, is a republic, which is a representative form of democracy, and it requires active, informed, engaged citizens, that, 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 kind of, that form of government, which has the potential for providing you know, a degree of liberty that you won't get anywhere else, it requires that kind of engagement and that, that kind of participation. And that, in turn, requires being equipped to do so. And um, one, one, uh, one writer referred to the current state of affairs as attention deficit democracy, meaning, you know, people really are, are ill-equipped these days to participate in. And that's why the, the system that we have has become weakened in its foundations and has really veered off course. So... Um, you have a responsibility to be a good citizen, to be uh, informed, to to understand, not just to kind of follow the headlines. You know, um, it may be a little bit more work these days with our social media culture that people have such a short attention span that it may be even more difficult than it has in the past, but it's really necessary. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Uh, today we've been talking with Thomas Jipping. He is Deputy Director of the Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies and a Senior Legal Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. If someone wants to read more, uh, what is your website there again, Thomas? Uh, Heritage.org. That's for the entire Heritage Foundation, and you can find on that website, you can find the, the Meese Legal Center. You can find a list of things that I've been writing on the Kavanaugh nomination, for example, and uh, there's a whole lot of and and the Heritage Guide to the Constitution is there on the website as well. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, Thomas, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 